And God, we thank you for a time to be able to gather together and, Lord, study your word, uh, to hear what you have spoken, Lord, especially concerning times and seasons and dates yet to be, Lord, that are all about Jesus Christ. Father, I pray tonight as we move into the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation, Lord, as we continue to uh, dig into your word, I pray, Father, that, Lord, again, that despite all of the sometimes hard-to-understand imagery and thoughts and concepts that, God, we won't get lost in the information, but that, Father, our hearts will be enlarged to anticipate the glorious appearing, the returning of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, may we be ready and prepared for that day. I say that not evangelically at this moment, but Father, pastorally, that Father, we, the church, would not be like those who want to shrink back and be ashamed at your coming, Father. Those whose lives would be, uh, Lord, though we would be saved, the, the building of our lives would be burned up like wood, hay, and stubble, Father. I pray that would not be so for us. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear tonight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, if you've got your copy of God's Word, open it to the 12th chapter of the book of the Revelation. I, I want to uh, just read the first six verses tonight, and I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse number 1, it says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon, with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all, na all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, if you'll recall, we are still for... The next few chapters, chapter 12 included, kind of out of the flow of chronology. We've entered into a chapter, chapter 12, that has really given us some insight into some spiritual conflict in the heavenly realms. Um, some of this is stuff that has already occurred. Okay, Some of this is stuff that is yet to occur. And so in chapter 12, specifically, and tonight we're going to look at these three persons that we have presented to us here in this 
part of John's vision in which we're, we're presented with this uh, pregnant woman, we're presented with the child that she has, and we're pre- pre- presented with this ferocious beast of a dragon. And the question is, who, who are these folks? What, what, is, what is the Lord trying to communicate to you? And in order to help you tonight, I, I sort of wrote out an outline and provided that to you. I hope you can read my writing. I apologize. I almost always type things out. I mean, guys, I don't rely on reading my own writing. I type out all of my notes. I type out everything because I can't read it from time to time. But that, what I gave you, is a miracle, and it's about as neat as it gets. All right? But maybe that'll help you follow the flow of things tonight. So we'll just hop right into chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, and here we see the person of the woman. Uh, Now, this woman that we're introduced here to in chapter 12 has has long been a, a, a source of debate and controversy, her identity, who who is this? And I think it's it's unnecessary debate in my opinion. Um, for example, I'll give you some examples of this. The, for example, the Roman Catholic Church will come to this particular passage and they will say that this woman, this is referring to Mary. This is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, Listen to me, I'll try to talk slowly, okay? Mary is included in the representation of this woman, but that woman does not represent the single personality of Mary, the mother of Jesus, okay? This this woman here is not a literal representation of Mary. I mean, Mary was never a great pregnant woman in heaven. Okay, so that that can't be. That's not Mary, all right? Some in church history have suggested that this woman here is representative of the church, the church itself as the the bride of Christ. Well, um, I I see problems with that because um, it can't be that either because this woman gives birth to a child and we'll see that this child is the Christ child. It is the Christ that is represented as a child. And so here, um, I'm afraid the church doesn't give birth to Christ. Christ gives birth to the church. Therefore, this can't be representative of of the church. Uh, Now, the church is, I believe, seen later on in this chapter when we get down to about verse 17. Um, and it's, it's seen, in it's, it's made up of both Jews and Gentiles alike who have come to faith in the offspring of this woman that is being talked of here. Um, have you ever heard of the cult of Christian science? You may have heard that. They, there's a little publication called the Christian Science Monitor. Um, that cult was founded in about the year 1879. Um, at this point, I want to make an Archie joke, but I want. Um, but in 1879 is when it was founded by, by a lady by the name of Mary Eddie Baker. And Baker said, this is what she said, she said she was the woman. <laughs> she was the woman of Revelation 12 and that the man-child was her religious movement, which is Christian science. And you know what I call that? I call that utter ridiculousness. Okay, she was wrong. That's not it. So, 
Who is this? Let's, let's think about it. Let's look at this. Let's look at it. Let's try to look at it in the weight of its context. So first of all, let's look at the profile of this woman in verse 1. So who is this woman? It's clear to me, okay, because I see her profile is being provided in verse 1. She is clothed with the sun. Okay, the moon is under her feet. She wears a crown of 12 stars. Well, when I read that, I see, and let me just go ahead and tell you who I think this woman is, and I'll give you the biblical reasons for that. She is a picture of ethnic Israel. Now you see why I say Mary would be included in that, because Mary was a Jew, but it's not the single person of Mary. Okay, This is the Hebrew people. Okay, this is ethnic Israel. And the evidence for that in my observation is for these following reasons. Her description, the, the description that I read to you about the sun, the moon, the stars, all of that, that is reminiscent of Genesis chapter 37 verses 9 through 10 where, where these heavenly bodies, the sun and the moon, represent Jacob and Rachel. This identifies the woman with Israel and, in, in my estimation, the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. The 12 stars that, that, are, that are mentioned here, uh, I would link to the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob, the, those patriarchs of Israel. Um, in verse 2, um, she's seen with child, one who rules with um, a, a rod of iron. This can be none other than Christ, who is who is in Scripture is promised to come from where the nation of Israel. They come from the Hebrew people. Matthew chapter one, one through twenty-five. Psalm two, verses eight and nine. Revelation two, verse twenty-seven. Revelation nineteen, verse number fifteen. And if I'm getting too fast for you with these 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 Bible verses. Um, Ask me afterwards, I'll let you write them down. Next time I'll try to give you a little bit more detailed outline to help you so that you can go back and be like a Berean and search the Scriptures to see whether he's telling me the truth or not. All right? Now, um, a fourth thing I would say about her profile and the evidence of her being the nation of Israel is, is that uh, this, this, she is Israel. The nation. She's not just simply Mary, the mother of Jesus, and that's clear from the fact to me that she will be persecuted in the last half of the tribulation period. Verse 6, verses 13 through 17 of chapter 12 here. So the woman is the nation of Israel, um, the uh, source of Messiah who's to come. Now, so what's her purpose? What's her purpose? You see that in verse 2. Um, she's pregnant and she is in agony because of it. She is pregnant with the promise of Messiah. Okay? She is pregnant with the promise of Messiah. The one who we're told in verse 5 would rule with a rod of iron. It is Israel. It is Israel. Not any other people group. It is Israel. It is the Hebrew people that God chose, sovereignly chose, out of all the peoples of the earth to be His people from whom Messiah would come. They didn't choose to be that. God chose them and set them apart for that to bring the Savior 
into the world. It was the Hebrew people, the tiny nation of Israel, that God chose from the very beginning to bring Christ into the world and to represent the one true God to all the nations of the world. Romans chapter 9, verses 4 through 5, highlight that for us. It speaks to that special position of Israel. Let me read it to you. He says, and Paul writes the Roman church, he says, they, speaking of the, the, Israel, the, the nation of Israel, says, they are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is Jesus Christ, who is God over all men, forever praised. End quote. So because they were chosen to be the race through whom Messiah was to come, they were a marked people. They were a marked people, um, marked by the enemy. Uh, Satan had his sights on the Hebrew people ever, ever since what went down in the Garden of Eden. Um, if you'll remember in Genesis 3.15, following the fall of the human race, when the human race was put under the curse of sin, God promised Messiah. And the Lord told the devil, He said this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The woman is Israel. Okay? The woman is Israel. The offspring and the seed is the Messiah. There would be enmity. There would be a mutual hatred that would come. So the Jews were, have always been a persecuted people, held captive, murdered, all satanic attempts to undermine. And all of them in their history prior to the coming of Messiah was there to try and undermine the coming of Messiah. In Satan's demonic, deranged mind, it was trying to stop the coming of the Savior, the Deliverer, the One who would, do it, who would defeat the powers of the princes of the air by nailing our sin to the cross. And they would lose their power and their authority over humanity that would trust Him. They would be free and we would become children of the Most High God. And He tried to stop that. And he would try to stop that over and over and over again. Thus, the reason she's crying out. Remember the Bible said here in Revelation 12, she's crying out in agony. And it's from all the pains of carrying this child, the promised Messiah, because she was carrying that child. Boy, they were hit hard many times because of that. Now, second thing we would notice in these verses we see the woman but now notice the person of the dragon in verses 3 and 4 in this cosmic vision of John it now shifts to this other sign in heaven a great red dragon it was a great red dragon with seven heads ten horns and seven crowns on its head. 
This is a descriptive symbol of Satan himself. Satan is the dragon symbolized here, that's being personified here in this imagery. Um, we know this explicitly when we get down to verse 9, it, per, it plainly declares this to be Satan. Okay? Plainly here in the flow of this text. But um, let's briefly consider the profile of this dragon here in these verses that we have. We see his diabolical profile in verse 3. First of all, notice his color. He's red. I hate that he's red. Red's my favorite color. It is. It's because red was the, the color of the blood of Jesus. That's good too. Not only the fact that crimson red has a special place in my, my life too. Uh, but uh, anyway, red. Red though, symbolically in Scripture, can be, can be um, the color of war and bloodshed. In, in, the book, in the context of Revelation, it brings to mind the red horse of Revelation 6-4. Um, this dragon is a... What this says is that this dragon is a killer. Okay? And what does Satan do? For the thief comes but to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Jesus said. So he brings death. He brings war. He brings bloodshed with him when he comes and where he goes. He's called a dragon. Um, a dragon, of course in uh, literature is a winged serpent. Now, there's no such thing as a dragon in our natural world, but it's a picture of the devil. And, and in fact, we're very safe in identifying the dragon as the devil because of what we read in verse 9 okay, of, of this chapter. Now, this dragon has seven heads. Um, that speaks to... to in my observation, vast intelligence. Okay? Vast intelligence. We're dealing with a brilliant and a wise creature. As a matter of fact, in Ezekiel 28, verse number 12, when it's, it, it, it uses the historical example of the king of Tyre, who is also representative of Lucifer, in my estimation going with church history on this, and it says of him there that he is, he is full of wisdom and he is perfect in beauty, referring to Satan. Now, he also has ten horns. Um, horns, of course, in Scripture are often symbolic of power. Now, Satan is not all-powerful. Okay? He's not all powerful, but he has power. And his power has been given to him by God. Okay? It's been given to him by God. And the number 10, some people like to say, oh, this refers to um, a nation kingdom that will uh, be a, a major figure in the end, end times. I, I, I can't say that. I don't know. Maybe. But what I can say is what I do know, and I said what I know. <laughs> okay? Now, um, he has seven crowns, and of course crowns are symbol of authority. And if you remember, Satan has been given a by God, and it's under God's sovereign authority, but he has been given a limited authority 
on this world by virtue of the curse, by virtue of sin. Okay, that's coming to the world. So he is, he, he, he is, that's why 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4 can call him the God with a little g of this world. Now, what's his purpose? Verse number 4. Well, it's obviously to rebel against God and to devour this child. Now, the first part of verse 4, it says this, His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. When I read that, it's reminiscent of me of the rebellion of Lucifer. Okay? It, it is, it is the, now, some would argue that there's no place in the Old Testament, there's no place in Scripture that says that a third of the angels rebelled with him. I disagree with, with that, and I think this right here refers to that. And so I think that this is referring to that great rebellion that took place in heaven when Lucifer said, I will be like you, as we read in Isaiah chapter 14. And I believe that a third of the heavenly host rebelled with him. Now that wasn't a surprise to God. God knew it. God was going to use it to fulfill His purpose. And Satan does accomplish the greater purposes of God and allows the total glory of God to be revealed. Uh, We could talk about the theological necessity of the evil that he brings, okay? But too often we want to get drawn into the philosophical hurdles to get it arguing about it. But we won't go down that path tonight. But let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 14 what Satan said at this. What was the heart of this rebellion He said, uh, beginning in verse 12, this is of the Lord saying of him, He said, How fallen are you, O day star, son of the dawn! How you are cut off to the ground! For you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. And that's the same lie that Satan tried to sell Adam and Eve in the garden. Eat of this fruit and you shall be like God, knowing good and evil. It's the same lie that the enemy has sold to a lot of the, to the health and wealth area of the, of, of the I'm even reluctant to call it the church because they teach some things that are so far off. But you have this little God theology that ye shall be gods. It's the same lie that they sold to the Mormons who believe that male Mormons can, can become, if they follow certain things, they can become a god with their own planet, their own universe. And you women get to be eternally pregnant. (laughs) It's joy, joy, right? Well, this is his rebellion. And his rebellion, again, it doesn't surprise God. It's going to fulfill his purposes ultimately. But here is the, the more specific purpose here in this text. Here, what he wants to devour this child. He wants to devour this child. Isn't that what the text says? And the dragon stood before the woman about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. He might devour it. You see, prior to the birth of Christ, Satan was hell-bent on wiping out the Hebrew people in order to prevent the birth of Messiah. 
Now, verse 4 is a picture of something in the B.C. time frame. Okay, this is before Christ was born. He's talking about before Christ was born. And I want you to think about it. You see it. If you, if you just read through the Old Testament, you can see it over and over and over again. If you see all the way up to the New Testament, just prior to the birth of Christ, um, we see that Satan moved Cain to kill Abel, thinking he could stop God's plan. But Satan didn't see that God was going to provide Seth. Okay? Um, he tried to genetically alter the human race in Genesis chapter 6 when the Ben Hak Elohim, the sons of God, mated with the daughters of men. And that was the wickedness that increased on the earth. That's why God sent the flood to wipe that genetic mess out. But Satan didn't think about Noah, his family, and the ark. And they sailed right on to bring in Messiah. Okay? Um, he aroused Esau to, to anger so that Jacob might be killed, but he didn't know that God was going to help Jacob to escape. He tried to kill off the Jews in Egypt by having Pharaoh slay all the little boys, but he didn't know that God would save a little boy by the name of Moses who would lead God's people out of Egypt. He tried to lead Israel away into idolatry, thinking God would destroy the nation. But he did not see that by God sending them into captivity, he would rid them of their idolatry. He failed in every attempt to stop the birth of Christ. And when the time came, uh, when the fullness of time came, and the son was born of the Virgin Mary. He tried to do it again. He filled Herod with his evil spirit. And he, he tried to wipe out every, every child in Bethlehem under the age of two. Read Matthew chapter 2 verses 16 through 18. Now, number three. We see in verse 5 the person of the child. We see his profile. He is called a male. This is not a woman. This is not gender neutral. The Holy Spirit's not given their pronouns. It is a male child. A man child. The birth of this man child is the birth of Christ. It's his first coming. This is, this is Christmas here, okay? This is His first coming. This is the incarnation of God in human flesh through the virgin birth. And we see His purpose. This His ultimate purpose here is to rule the world with a rod of iron. Now the text does not say that He would immediately rule. The text postpones His time of rule by interjecting the phrase, but her child was caught up to God and His throne. And that's a reference to the resurrection and the ascension, at where, uh, which is the validation of His work on the cross. It is because of Calvary, having disarmed the spirits of the powers of the air and being resurrected, that He can now return and rule, rule the world with a rod of iron and he will come with a rod of iron to rule the nations at the battle of Armageddon, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 15. And so, uh, that, that's good. 
Now, notice number four, the problem and protection of the, of the woman, as he talks about it in verse six. Verse six, and the reference to the woman fleeing into the wilderness takes us now into the future uh, to the trials of Israel in the last half of the tribulation where uh, she will be under great persecution for three and a half years also known as here 1,260 days. Okay. Now uh, you might ask what is the point of verse 6 in the whole picture so far? Well, now that Christ has risen and ascended to heaven, the devil's furious, okay? He's furious. Um, he has blinded the eyes of most Jews that they did not receive their own Messiah. He is hell-bent on destroying the Hebrew people still. Um, you've seen it. With the fury of Hitler, you've seen it with the fury of Stalin, with millions of Jews being murdered. You see it today with the Muslim nation's hatred of Israel. I'm telling you, if, 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 if Iraq could acquire a nuclear weapon, they would be delighted in annihilating the nation of Israel. Because there's such a hatred for them. Well, during the second half of the Great Tribulation period, there will be many of these ethnic Jews that will have received Christ that will be now the church, the true Israel. If you remember our discussions about that uh, several, several, several weeks ago. Uh, and so... Uh, Satan personified in the Antichrist will seek to destroy them totally, but he will not. You want me to tell you why he will not? She, what does the text tell us? She will flee into the wilderness and she will find nourishment in a place that is divinely prepared by God. God will take care of his people. Now there is speculation about where this might be. Now, why is God going to disclose that? That's top secret classified information. Um, we don't know. We only know what we're told, and we're told that this is the wilderness, that in this wilderness refuge, the people of Israel will be taken care of. We do not know who the they is referring to who will feed the Jews, but we do know that for the last half of the tribulation period, 1,260 days, Israel will be cared for. In spite of the sin, the hatred of the evil of those, and the hatred of the evil of those days, God will see to the needs of His people. He will use perhaps other friendly nations if there are any, or more likely He'll use some supernatural means. But when the tribulation ends and Jesus returns, there will be a remnant of ethnic Jews which will have been brought into the true church because they will have repented and received Jesus Christ. Wow. Today, right now, Orthodox Jews are waiting for the coming of Messiah. They're waiting for the coming. According to the Jewish Talmud, 
Jews are obligated not only to believe the Messiah, but to yearn for His arrival. Many traditional Jews recite a creed that concludes with this statement. Let me quote it to you. I believe with perfect faith in the advent of the Messiah, and though He may tarry, I await His arrival every day. End quote. During the Passover meal, the cedar, as it's referred to, there is the tradition of opening the door of Elijah, who will precede the coming of Messiah. What they don't understand is Messiah's already come. He has been, and his name is Jesus. The nation of Israel, they themselves were pregnant with the promise and gave birth to the person who is the deliverer. Yet they failed to recognize him. What does John tell us in John 1, 10 through 11? He was in the world, and his, the, although the world was made by him, the world knew him not. He came to his own, and his own received him not. The Messiah died on Calvary's cross. He was buried and raised again. But when He shed His blood on that cross, He was shedding His blood not only for those of us in this room that have received Christ, but it was specifically for every single Jew that was to receive Him in the time yet to come. And any Jew that receives Him between now and then, His blood secured it for them. And there will be a glorious day when the Gentile and the Jew, ethnic Jew, will come together and not recognize an ethnic difference. For we are all one in Christ. We are one body. We are true Israel. We are true Israel, Jew and Gentile alike that makes up the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. What a glorious day it will be. Let's bow and let's pray.